Hello, my friends. Today we'll be reading about the birth of our Lord Jesus from the poem of the man-god, Maria Valtorta, Volume 1. Inside of a poor, stony shelter, Mary and Joseph have found refuge, sharing the lot of some animals. The little fire is dozing together with its guardian. Mary lifts her head slowly from her bed and looks around. She sees that Joseph's head is bowed over his chest, as if he were meditating, and she thinks that his good intention to remain awake has been overcome by tiredness. She smiles lovingly, sits up, and then goes on her knees. She prays with a blissful smile on her face. She prays with her arms stretched out, almost in the shape of a cross, with the palms of her hands facing up and forward, and she never seems to tire in that position. She then prostrates herself with her face on the hay in an even more ardent prayer, a long prayer. Joseph rouses. He notices that the fire is almost out and the stable is almost dark. He throws a handful of very slender heath onto the fire and the flames are revived. Then he adds some thicker twigs and finally some sticks because the cold is really biting, the cold of a serene winter night that comes into the ruins from everywhere. Poor Joseph must have been frozen, sitting as he is near the door. He warms his hands near the fire, then takes his sandals off and warms his feet. When the fire is gaily blazing and its light is steady, he turns around but does not see anything, not even Mary's white veil that formed a clear line on the dark hay. He gets up and slowly moves towards her pallet. Are you not sleeping, Mary? he asks. He asks her three times until she turns around and replies, I am praying. Is there anything you need? No, Joseph. Try and sleep a little, he says. At least try and rest. I will try, she said, but I don't get tired praying. God be with you, Mary, and with you, Joseph. Mary resumes her position. Joseph, to avoid falling asleep, goes on his knees near the fire and prays. He prays with his hands pressed against his face. He removes them now and again to feed the fire, and then he resumes his ardent prayer. A thin ray of moonlight creeps in through a crack in the vault, and it seems a blade of unearthly silver looking for Mary. It stretches in length as the moon climbs higher in the sky, and at last reaches her. It is now on her head, where it forms a halo of pure light. Mary lifts her head as if she had a celestial call, and she gets up and goes to her knees again. Oh, how beautiful it is here now! She raises her head, and her face shines in the white moonlight, and becomes transfigured by a supernatural smile. What does she see? What does she hear? What does she feel? She is the only one who can tell what she saw, heard, and felt in the refulgent hour of her maternity. The light around her is increasing more and more. It seems to come down from heaven, to arise from the poor things around her. Above all, it seems to originate from herself. Her deep blue dress now seems of a pale blue, and her hands and face are becoming clear blue. This hue is spreading more and more on the things around her. It covers them, 
purifies them and brightens everything. The light is given off more and more intensely from Mary's body. It absorbs the moonlight. She seems to be drawing to herself all the light that can descend from heaven. She is now the depository of the light. She is to give this light to the world, and this blissful, uncontainable, immeasurable, eternal, divine light which is about to be given is descending like a large stream. The light increases more and more. It is now unbearable to the eye, and the Virgin disappears in so much light as if she had been absorbed by an incandescent curtain, and the mother emerges. Yes, when the light becomes endurable once again to my eyes, I see Mary with the newborn son in her arms, a little baby, rosy and plump, bustling with his little hands as big as rosebuds and kicking with his tiny feet, and he is crying with a thin, trembling voice, just like a newborn little lamb. Mary looks at her baby and adores him, weeping and smiling at the same time, and she bends down to kiss him not on his innocent head, but on the center of his chest, where underneath there is his little heart beating for us, where one day there will be the wound, and his mother is doctoring that wound in advance with her immaculate kiss. The ox, woken up by the dazzling light, gets up with a great noise of hooves and bellows, and the donkey turns its head around and brays. Also Joseph, who almost enraptured, was praying so ardently as to be isolated from what was around him, now rouses, and he sees a strange light filter through the fingers of his hands pressed against his face. He removes his hands, lifts his head, and turns around. The ox, standing as it is, hides Mary, but she calls him, Joseph, come. Joseph rushes, and when he sees, he stops, struck by reverence, and he is about to fall on his knees where he is. But Mary insists, come, Joseph, and she leans on the hay with her left hand, and holding the child close to her heart with her right one, she gets up and moves towards Joseph who was walking, embarrassed, because of a conflict in him between his desire to go and his fear of being irreverent. They meet at the foot of the straw bed, and they look at each other, weeping blissfully. Come, let us offer Jesus to the Father, says Mary, and while Joseph kneels down, she stands up between two trunks supporting the vault. She lifts up her baby in her arms, and she says, Here I am. On his behalf, O God, I speak these words to you. Here I am to do your will, and I, Mary, and my spouse Joseph with him. Here are your servants, O Lord. May your will always be done by us, in every hour, in every event, for your glory and your love. Then Mary bends down and says, Here, Joseph, take him, and offers him the child. What? I? Me? Oh, no, I am not worthy. Joseph is utterly dumbfounded at the idea of having to touch God. But Mary insists, smiling. You are well worthy. No one is more worthy than you are, and that is why the Most High chose you. Take him, Joseph, and hold him while I look for the linens. Joseph, 
Blushing almost purple stretches his arms out and takes the baby who is screaming because of the cold and when he has him in his arms he no longer persists in the intention of holding him far from himself out of respect but he presses him to his heart and bursts into tears exclaiming O oh Lord my God and he bends down to kiss his tiny feet and feels them cold he then sits on the ground and holds him close to his chest, and with his brown tunic and his hands he tries to cover him and warm him, defending him from the bitterly cold wind of the night. He would like to go near the fire, but there is a cold draft there coming in from the door. It is better to stay where he is. No, it is better to go between the two animals which serve as a protection against the air and give out warmth. Thus he goes between the ox and the donkey, with his back to the door bending over the newborn, to form with his body a shelter. Mary has opened the trunk and has pulled out the linens and swaddling clothes. She has been near the fire warming them. She now moves towards Joseph and envelopes the baby with lukewarm linen, and then with her veil to protect his little head. Where shall we put him now? she asks. Joseph looks around thinking. Wait, he says. Let us move the animals in their hay over here. We will then pull down that hay from up there and arrange it in here. The wood on the side will protect him from the air, and the hay will serve as a pillow, and the ox will warm him with its breath. Joseph makes up the fire, and he warms the hay as it dries, and he keeps it near his chest, so that it will not get cold. Then, when he has gathered enough to make a little mattress for the child, he goes to the manger and sorts it out as if it were a cradle. Now we would need a blanket, because the hay stings, and also to cover him, he says. Take my mantle, says Mary, but you will be cold. Oh, no, it does not matter, she says. The blanket is too coarse, and the mantle is soft and warm. I am not cold at all. Don't let him suffer any longer. Joseph takes the wide mantle of soft dark blue wool. He double folds it and lays it on the hay. The first bed for the Savior is ready. And the mother, with her sweet graceful gait, moves to the manger and lays him in it and covers him. Only his little face is left uncovered. And Mary and Joseph, bending over the manger, are blissfully happy watching him sleep. His first sleep because the warmth of the clothes and of the hay has appeased his crying and made him sleepy. Now the Virgin Mary speaks to us, and she says, I, Mary, redeemed woman by means of my divine maternity, but that was only the beginning of woman's redemption. By refusing a human marriage in accordance with my vow of virginity, I had rejected all lustful satisfactions, deserving thus grace from God. But it was not yet sufficient, because Eve's sin was a four-branched tree, pride, avarice, gluttony, and lust, and all four were to be cut off before making the roots of the tree sterile. By deeply humiliating myself, I defeated pride. I abased myself before everybody. I am not referring to my humility towards God. Such humility is due to the Most High by every creature. Even His Word had it. It was necessary for me to have it. 
but have you ever considered what humiliation I had to suffer from men without defending myself in any way? Even Joseph, who was a just man, had accused me in his heart. The others, who were not just, had committed a sin of disparagement with regard to my condition, and the rumor of their words had come like a bitter wave to break up against my humanity, and they were the first of the infinite humiliations I was to suffer in my life as mother of Jesus and of mankind. Humiliations of poverty, of a refugee, humiliations for reproaches of relatives and friends who, being unaware of the truth, judged me a weak woman with regard to my behavior as a mother towards Jesus when he was a young man, humiliations during the three years of his public life, cruel humiliations in the hour of Calvary, humiliation in having to admit that I could not afford to buy a place and the perfumes for the burial of my son. I overcame the avarice of the first parents, renouncing my creature before the time. A mother never renounces her creature unless she is forced to. Whether her heart is asked to renounce her creature by her country, or by the love of a spouse, or even by God himself, she will resent and struggle against the separation. It is natural. A son grows in our womb, and the tie that links him to us can never be completely broken. Even if the umbilical cord is cut, there is a nerve that always remains. It departs from the mother's heart and is grafted into the son's heart. It is a spiritual nerve, more lively and sensitive than a physical one and a mother feels it stretching even to exceedingly severe pangs if the love of God or of a creature or the need of the country take her son away from her, and it breaks, tearing her heart, if death snatches her son from her. And I renounced my son from the very moment I had him. I gave him to God. I gave him to you. I deprived myself of the fruit of my womb, to make amends for Eve's theft of God's fruit. I defeated gluttony, both of knowledge and of enjoyment, by agreeing to know only what God wanted me to know, without asking myself or God more than what I was told. I believed unquestioningly. I overcame the innate personal delight of enjoyment, because I denied myself every sensual pleasure, I confined flesh, the instrument of Satan, together with Satan, under my heel, and made of them a step to rise towards heaven. Heaven, my aim, where God was, my only hunger, a hunger which is not gluttony, but a necessity blessed by God, who wants us to crave for him. I defeated lust, which is gluttony carried to the extreme of greed, because every unrestrained vice leads to a bigger vice, and Eve's gluttony, which was already blameworthy, led her to lust. It was no longer enough for her to enjoy pleasure by herself. She wanted to take her crime to a refined intensity, and thus she became acquainted with lust and was a mistress of lust for her companion. I reversed the terms, and instead of descending, I have always ascended, 
instead of causing other people to descend, I have always attracted them towards heaven. Of my honest companion, I made an angel. Now that I possessed God and his infinite wealth with him, I hastened to divest myself of it. Here I am. May your will be done for him and by him, I said. He is chaste who chastises not only his flesh, but also his affections and his thoughts. I had to be the chaste one in order to annul the one who had been unchaste in her flesh, her heart, and her mind. And I never abandoned my reservedness, not even by saying of my son, He is mine, I want him, since he belonged only to me on earth, as he belonged only to God in heaven. And yet all this was not sufficient to achieve for woman the peace lost by Eve. I obtained that for you at the foot of the cross when I saw my Jesus dying, whom you saw being born. When I felt my bowels being torn apart by the cry of my dying creature, I became void of all femininity. I was no longer flesh, but an angel. Mary, the virgin spouse of the Spirit, died that moment. The mother of grace remained, who gave you the grace she generated from her torture. The female reconsecrated woman by me on Christmas night achieved at the foot of the cross the means to become a creature of heaven. This I did for you, depriving myself of all satisfactions, even of holy ones, and whereas you had been reduced by Eve to females not superior to the mates of animals, I made of you, if you only wish so, saints of God. I ascended for you, as I had done for Joseph, I lifted you higher up. The rock of Calvary is my mount of olives. From there I took my leap to carry to heaven the resanctified soul of woman together with my flesh, now glorified because it had borne the word of God and had destroyed in me the very last trace of Eve. It had destroyed the last root of that tree with four poisonous branches, a root stuck in the sensuality that had dragged mankind to fall and that will go on biting at your intestines until the end of time and to the last woman. From there, where I now shine in the ray of love, I call you and I show you the medicine to control yourselves, the grace of my Lord and the blood of my Son.'